You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into Beaver Stadium. It's another edition of the Lions 24-7 postgame podcast. Penn State prevails on homecoming 35-7 over the visiting Purdue Boilermakers. This was home game number four of seven already, if you can believe it. Almost to the midpoint of this 2019 regular season, Penn State hits the road again in Big Ten action next weekend. But we're here to focus on what we just saw. Sean Fitz, uh, Tyler Donahue with you as always. And uh, it was an interesting game to say the least. It was a matchup that uh, Penn State came out and took control very early. Four consecutive touchdown drives to start this game. Then they hit a major stall offensively. A freshman running back rose to the occasion late in the game, helped pad that score. But along the way, one thing that was consistent, Penn State's defense, Penn State's ability to get after Purdue quarterback Jack Plummer, and this team is 5-0. and If you had some yard work to do and maybe you watched the first quarter, quarter and a half, you're feeling pretty good about this game. Uh, you're kind of thinking, all right, how, how am I going to find the negative in this? And then all of a sudden, Penn State sort of, sleepwalks through two quarters and finally scores, of course, in the fourth quarter to make it 35-7. The game, honestly, not that close, but Penn State just uh, just kind of plotted along in the over the, the the two middle quarters and you know you you're kind of left with that but five and oh is the important thing we're going to talk about a couple of different things uh offensively defensively and and special teams was i think we'll start with special teams really not on their game today yeah special teams you saw jake pinnegar miss his uh first kick of any kind he's been perfect on extra points he was perfect on field goals coming in missed one from inside the 40 uh today and, and that was one that could have you know further buried purdue in in that second half and it kind of ended up being uh, you know, part of that things unraveling a bit for Penn State as much as they can unravel when you have a 28 nothing lead. But toward the end there, there was a sequ- sequential series where uh, we saw the inter- interception from Clifford. We saw a botched punt situation that that went off the uh, was it the the knee of, of Jonathan, of Jonathan Sutherland, Sutherland yeah. and they weren't able to recover that. And then Jake Pinniger missed a field goal. So a couple special teams uh, issues in the mix there. There were some strange bounces on on a couple of these punt returns, but yeah, overall, you know, we, we saw. A, a kickoff go out of bounds. Uh, that's uncharacteristic of what we've seen from Jordan Stout. Uh, Blake Gillikin didn't necessarily drop in uh, his best punts of, of his Penn State career today. So something to take away for sure. And, and and it's funny, you're right. We were sitting there a minute into the first quarter when it was 28-0. And, and, and you are kind of thinking, man, you're going to have to go through this thing again with a fine-tooth comb to find some issues. But it didn't sh- didn't play out the rest of the way like it did against Maryland. Four quarters near perfection last week against Maryland. Uh, the first quarter, I mean, it's pretty much the same way for Penn State. I mean, they started off, actually started off with a Jordan Stout sort of squib kick, which we weren't used to seeing. Um, but uh, the defense got to it right away. Defense was phenomenal uh, pretty much all day. Um, they got a stop. They got a short field. Uh, really I mean, just kind of got a couple of nice runs, got a uh, completion to Daniel George for on a third down that was really good, hit K.J. Hamler for a 23-yard touchdown, and it was just from there, it was just rinse and repeat. They got a quick stop in a short field. They're up 14-0, got the 72-yard touchdown pass to to Jahan Dotson, which uh, a tremendous throw by Sean Clifford. It was more of a timing route than anything. He got uh, he got Dotson out, you know, it was a fairly deep dig route. He found him right where he needed to find him, and Dotson got downfield, ran behind K.J. Hamler this week. Yeah, 72-yard. 
yards on that play. And and I feel like we talk about this almost every week, and that's a good thing for Jared Parker. But the downfield blocking has been a wide receivers, yeah. and, and Daniel George has been a big part of that too. He he was on that play last week on a Journey Brown touchdown reception. He threw an important block downfield that he was able to sustain. They're not holding these guys. Sometimes you can find that be an issue downfield. Uh, but yeah, it got off to a good start, and along the way, continuing. You know, defense was consistent uh, along the way, but that first quarter, Sean, zero pass completions from Purdue. I know they were coming in uh, with a quarterback with limited experience in Jack Plummer. They were missing their their catalyst and Rondell Moore. But this is a team that statistically was the top passing attack in Big Ten football uh, through the first four games of their season. Again, no pass completions in the first quarter. While you've got Penn State with these two-minute scoring drives, bam, bam, bam. And, you know, they were just knocking down Purdue in a big way to start. It's kind of remarkable because, I mean, as as much as we're going to talk about Penn State's kind of uh, uh, just – I don't know, sleepy transition through period or meandering their way through much of the game, right? Second and third quarter, they were still better than Purdue, who was not, not a very good football team. And I know injuries have really taken their toll on the toll on the Boilermakers. So that's tough to see. So after that Dotson touchdown, you're not even 10 minutes in, it's 21 nothing. Defense gets another stop. Uh, Penn State goes down. You know, the quarter changes. Penn State goes down the other way. Drives extended by a rough in the passer call. And then, uh, you, you hit Pat Fryermuth and it's 28 nothing. Inside, you know, under a minute yeah. into the second quarter. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it doesn't really happen. You know, you see you see this happen all, all over the country at times. Um, but that is the sign of a dominant team when you can go out and roll that up, especially early, especially coming off of, you know, which, which should probably can be considered an emotional win over Maryland uh, last Friday. We said on both episodes of the podcast this week and even touched on it last week on, on the post game after the Maryland win. This team was facing a challenge in a different way this week because of their youth, because of they're not necessarily accustomed to stringing together games and in a whole season. It's a it's a journey for them, and especially with a first year starting quarterback and a new leadership. The movement we saw this offseason, they answered that bell right off the gate. I mean, four straight touchdown drives is 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 pretty remarkable. And if you can start any game that way. You're going to have a hard time losing unless you're yeah, – especially should, if you're They should do that playing. more often. Well, what they should do. Well, if sorry, I just hit the mic. If yeah. your defense is playing that way, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be hard to lose games. And, and we saw today, I mean, they basically bought themselves the rest of the game because of the way they started this game offensively. And going back to the final possession offensively against Pitt back in week three, um, I, I know this is kind of a quirky little stat, but going back to that through those first four drives, Sean – they had scored points on 11 of 12 first-half possessions over the past three games. And, I mean, quite frankly, that's that's pretty that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. It did slow down. Sean Clifford underthrew K.J. Hamler. Um, it was picked off. Purdue came down. I, it, uh, and, and it was just a, a, a litany of things for Penn State. I mean, you had the interception. You had the, the, the punt, as we already talked about, b- bouncing off Sutherland. Missed a field goal. Penn State was, and one of the good things here about these building these big leads, and it really hasn't been a ton of competitive football here, but they've gotten the younger guys in. Uh, Joey Porter gets beat for a back shoulder fade for a touchdown. That's Purdue's only points of the day, but still, you're getting some experience for those young guys. So I think that's that's one thing to do, to to take away from this. Um, that second to third quarter, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, you know, it's something to. To definitely go to the tape for. I mean, were they trying to do something? We saw a little bit more of the RPO. I think we saw them messing around a little bit, and it really cost them in terms of just rolling up the score because this is a game that, you know, Penn State could have been in the 40s, maybe the 50s. And then, you know, you're just kind of maybe getting a little too cute, maybe trying to do a little too much um, to, to get some experience for some of those guys. And it just, you know, it just slows the game down considerably. 
they went from those first four scoring drives and the interception for Clifford, as I said, and then the missed field goal. They come out in the second half, and I believe it was five consecutive possessions with a punt to start the second half. Uh, and and you're thinking, I was thinking of Space Jam. You know, when the, when these star players get zapped of, of their of their skills all of a sudden, they were out here and they were just dominating, flexing their muscles. Looked like they hadn't even walked off the field of Maryland. They just transitioned right to here. And all of a sudden, Sean Clifford is, is, is zapped of his powers. His offensive is zapped of its of its uh, cohesion, and, and it just was really out of sync. And the one thing they did not do, especially with a lead like this, in a game like this, are you kidding me? Yep. Sean, I'm, like, wondering what Sean's doing. I thought he was itching his uh, <laughs> itching his ankle or something near me. Uh, no, he's just showing off his Toon Squad socks. So Space some, Jam socks. I get I the s- reference. Yeah. I swear we have not talked about Space Jam until on, on this moment. So uh, serendipitous and, and strange is the way I, We should probably just end the podcast. Podcast right there because it just peaked for me but uh, they did not dedicate a drive and make it running back centric until much later in the game and it felt like with that kind of lead against a team like Purdue where you know they're not going to get much churning you want to put your team in a, a situation where you know continue to develop that confidence get these guys some some opportunities on the ground get your defense rested it felt like a game where you, you weren't going to see Clifford you know midway through the third quarter you wouldn't see guys like KJ Hamler in the game just like Maryland um, and I think that's what we'll talk about this and we can jump into it right now if you want a lot of people are going to focus in on you know why don't you settle in with a running back and and, and let him kind of you know here's the game we're up by 21 points it's the second quarter let's take the ball and 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 run with it and go home and pick up chunks and the guy who did that was Noah Kane but I think in everybody else's defense that drive for Noah Kane very similar to what we saw against Pittsburgh that was the only drive where it felt like this offensive staff where the plan and part of this is Clifford's reads and what he sees but where the plan was really to feed the guy whoever it is in the backfield the ball get him in a rhythm there was just a lot of first down and tens uh, you know where you just would have been nice to start with a run in the situation you were in, and I, you know, would turn to you or Mark and, and say, you know, I, I just don't. It was it was a little puzzling. It was a perfect situation where you love your backfield, and if you really feel like you genuinely have four starting caliber Big Ten running backs, you can't ask for anything more as a play caller than to build that twenty eight uh, point lead. Sean Clifford accounts for four touchdowns in the first half for a second consecutive game did his job and you say let's put the ball in, in our running back's hands and 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 grind this you know I don't, not grind it out in the second quarter but you know I think that's a, a an approach that we've seen this team turn to rarely but when they have it's looked pretty good yeah they they kind of got away from what they were doing last week and taking the easy completions and things like that and Clifford really you know I don't think Clifford had his best game I mean he's he put up some really good numbers once mm-hmm. again but honestly, you know, a, a couple of misconnections here or there had the, the, the interception to uh, Hamler down the field. But, uh, yeah, I think a, a lot of that goes back to Clifford. And, you know, he looks so, so good against Maryland and not as good today. And he's fine, you know. He looked really good, you know, in the first four drives. You know, I mean, the, everybody looked really <laughs> yeah. good in the first uh, four drives. Um, but, no, I mean, it's just uh, it was kind of a, a small step back. I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll, I mean, it's tough to, to match what he did against Maryland, mm-hmm. but a small step back there. I think, Sean, and you look at the box score after this game, if you hadn't watched the game, you'd see Sean Clifford, 20 of 29, 264 yards passing, three touchdowns, another touchdown on the ground with 38 yards rushing. You've got a 100-yard rusher here with Noah Kane, and obviously the defensive stats, we'll talk about those in a moment, impressive uh, any way you look at them. Um, but again, this was a game that was very uh, segmented in terms of, of how it played out. You had one really strong drive midway through the fourth quarter that I think was important. I think if they came out of this game 28-7 and they never mustered that kind of drive, 
things are going to, that's going to be more of an issue. People are going to be talking about it. You and I are going to be talking about it more if they went four touchdowns and then did nothing the rest of the way. Um, the drive that they had towards the end of the game, it was seven plays. Five of those plays went to Noah Kane. He produced more than 60 yards, two-yard touchdown. I believe three plays that went 10 yards plus. And there was plays where they given him the ball first down. He was picking up 10, 11 yards. Um, and that was kind of the conversation. I, I heard Kane, 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 you know, whispers of Kane in the media room while we're waiting for Franklin to come out. I think it was the first or second question asked of Franklin about, you know, Kane's emergence. This staff, it's very clear. They're in no position to say we're done with the rotation. But Franklin did say, you know, last week, you know, it felt like, you know, Journey Brown was maybe the guy on the ascension. Now you can make a case that Noah Kane is the guy on the ascension. And, you know, the thing is, this is the third time we've seen a running back go for 100-plus yards in, in a game this season. It's been three different guys. Noah Kane today. It was uh, Journey Brown against Pitt. It was uh, Devin Ford week one against Idaho. Um, but, but there's something to be said about the way – Noah Kane has rumbled when they've said, hey, this is your drive. But I'm curious to see, you know, if they did the same thing with Journey Brown and said, hey, we're going to give you five five handoffs here. We just haven't seen that consistently. We got to the third quarter, and I think it was you know, this guy had four carries, this guy had five carries. Sean Clifford led the team in uh, and, and rush attempts, you know, pretty far into the third quarter. So it's just it's, it's, a, it's a process that we continue to look at differently game by game by game. But you look at the end result here, and, and you've got the 100-yard rusher who averaged 8-plus yards a carry. Devin Ford averaged 5.4 yards per carry. And in this case, it was the two veterans who took a little bit of a step back. But they both came up with these solid games against Maryland. I think Journey Brown's had momentum on his side for a while now. Third straight start. But you know, for him, 5 carries, 21 yards. And Ricky Slade, another really rough day on the ground for him. Four rushes two yards. That's not going to get it done. He, he did have one reception, but that lost a yard. So uh, Ricky Slade, five touches for one yard total. And I think people are going to be focusing on Ricky as the as the guy who's kind of falling from this group. And they're going to be focusing on Noah Kane as the guy who is an, in turn moving in the opposite direction. Yeah, you can almost do a stock report on these running backs every right. week. Uh, Ricky Slade, by the way, a, a really good blitz pickup on the Jahan Dotson touchdown. So And he I mean, had no shot on a couple of those attempts by the goal line. Yeah. He was wrapped up in the back. There was no those there. stats yeah. are not really reflective of him not being able to find wiggle room. There was he got the ball and he got hit. But I think that Noah Kane probably has the the most uh, clear cut identity out of the four. I mean he's a he's a hand it off and go guy. I mean he's a he's a one, just put your foot in the ground, go forward. Uh, and I think that really when you watch these drives that he puts together, the offensive line is moving forward a little bit more. You just see a little bit more comfort level with, with what he's trying to do, and that's just taking the ball and going. And he's a guy that's going to fall forward. He's a guy, a guy that's going to get you seven yards on first down, which is really when you take a look at, at his drive at the end. Penn State was ahead of the sticks. They did a really nice job staying where they needed to go down and distance-wise. And I, I just think that he's got the clearest – you know exactly what he is. I mean, he's not going to – like I said, he's not going to be a 60-yard guy that – a guy that busts off the 60-yard touchdown. But he's going to guy that gets you six. I mean, that's sometimes just as valuable. Here's the – so 12 carries for Noah Kane. In the second quarter, he was in for, for a drive. Uh, here's his runs. Four yards, nine yards, five yards, five yards. Then we see him again in the fourth quarter. You go through that whole third quarter where you're waiting for something to happen. You don't see Noah Kane on the football field. Comes out in the fourth quarter, and here's his rushing attempts. Six yards, five yards, seven yards, 11 yards, 16 yards, eight yards, 27 yards, and then his shortest run of the day, two yards. That's only because the end zone stopped him. He scored a touchdown. So, I just went over that, and to your point, this is not a guy who's getting stopped in the backfield. This is not a guy who's settling for one or two-yard gains, and this is exactly what the way he was described by J. Juan Sider, uh, by James Franklin, all through the offseason as someone who, 
you're not going to see maybe have the 70-yard touchdown run, but you're going to look at the stat sheet at the end of the day, and you're going to see, wow, he kept that team on schedule. His five-yard runs are two- and three-yard runs with Journey Brown, with, with Ricky Slade. I mean, his he, he just keeps going forward, falling forward, and that's going to benefit you from a yardage standpoint. So I thought he looked really good, looked good as a receiver, too. Three catches for 25 yards. Um, certainly, I think, made an argument. I, I don't think... I don't think it's time to go with just one guy. I know a lot of people are are sort of uh, going for that, but I, I think it's uh, it's time to, to give Noah Kane a little bit more. And I also like what I saw from Devin Ford. He's got a spark. Uh, I do think he needs to get a little bit stronger, get a little bit more time in that uh, in that weight program. But uh, man, those two freshman backs are, are pretty good players. Yeah, and the last time they went, and not to look too far ahead, but last time they went to Iowa, they had one running back, Mr. Saquon Barkley, of course. I think he approached forty. Offensive touches. I don't. I don't know if he got there quite there, but he was in the high 30s that game. He had 12 receptions, if I'm not mistaken, 25 plus carries. And and you're not going to see that formula. But I do wonder. And, and it's a game that we've been talking about for a while, where it's time to strap in and, and and really show who you are as a football program in these next few weeks. Very curious to see if they don't consolidate reps a little bit more to a smaller group of guys and then that will that will rub some people the wrong way but we also have to focus in on the fact that not all four of these running backs are going to stay healthy there's going to be injuries that that happen and we see happen on the football field and a guy gets you know carried off the football field or limps off the football field and then there's things that we don't see and guys getting treatment for issues that we're not aware of and that's the nature of that position so I think as much as people want to talk about oh why are they using all four of these guys there will come a point in this season there will come a point next year well you'll be grateful that they had this kind of experience in their back pocket uh you know and and the thing here is it's hard to keep these kids pleased there's a positive vibes going on they had the lawn boys thing but you know all these guys want to play in the nfl someday and all of them came to campus with those kinds of ambitions and uh they know what it what is required to get there and, and it, you know it's going to take uh everyone wants to get the bulk of work yeah no doubt and uh i mean that's the third what the third different leading rusher in in five weeks then uh so that's i mean obviously i think somebody is going to Maybe go off the bottom of that rotation a little bit more. Maybe maybe make it more of a three man rotation. I think Devin Ford's probably that guy because as as a as an all around guy, I don't think he's quite there. I loved it. You know, I love Devin Ford. Yeah. Um, but uh, just as an all around type guy, Slade again. Um, you know, got a little blocking. Get you can get a little receiving out of him. So I don't think he's he's ready to be just uh, you know shunned to the bench just yet. For the conspiracy theorists out there, Ford, Kane, red shirts burn today. Yeah. Yeah, they're, no one's getting tucked away and, and, right. and, and wrapped, uh, wrapped in bubble uh, for next year. Penn State's offense, 460 total yards, 24 first downs. That's 54 first downs in the last two weeks. Uh, they ran 75 plays today. I think they ran 80 or 81 last week against Maryland. Um, I mean, the tight ends had another good game. Nick Bowers led with three catches for 66 yards. Pat Fryermuth had a touchdown. KJ Handler had a touchdown. Jahan Dotson had a touchdown. No Justin Shorter. He was there. He was in uh, a jersey. No pads. Didn't obviously warm up or anything like that. Daniel George started in his place. Dan Chisena played some, some X as well. Uh, he got a couple of targets. But as as slow as the offense moved for those middle two quarters, this Penn State defense was was phenomenal once again, and they just shut down the run. Negative uh, 19 yards on the ground. Now th- those numbers are adjusted or not adjusted for sack totals. Penn State 10 sacks. I mean, just the the the, the front four, and they've sort of been 
criticized because they didn't play up to the level that maybe people thought they were, even though they were still playing at a pretty high level. Uh, they came through today, and they did. They, they did the job. One of the things Franklin called for at the forefront of, of the bye week was getting after the quarterback more, actually getting the quarterback down because we know they had some some hurries, some rush opportunities against Pitt. But he said, you know, they got to start recording the sacks that they anticipate, the the kind of numbers that they want. Last week it was four against Maryland. Ten is is you know that's almost a, a program record. They got eleven in nineteen ninety nine against Illinois and. There's guys in this defense that weren't around on, on, on planet Earth in 1999. So, uh, you know, you look across the board, Shaka Tony got them off to a tremendous start. Um, we put it together. You ended up getting credit for the tweet, but it was at one I was point. sitting on that one for a while, by the way. <laughs> at yeah. one point over over a three-quarter span against teams from Indiana, including the Hoosiers last year, Shaka Tony had uh, seven sacks in those three quarters. Of course, last year at Indiana, he really bailed them out late. Four sacks all coming in that final quarter, but uh, this time it was him getting off to the hot start. And and Etor Grossmanos is a guy who did not go into the bye week on a high note. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he did not show up in the box score at all against Pitt. He's come out uh, and, and been that authoritative presence the last couple of weeks, and, and that was particularly the, the case again today. Penn State's defensive ends just changed the entire course of this Purdue offense, specifically uh, Shaka Tony. Uh, was uh, matched up with a redshirt freshman right tackle, and he just destroyed him. I mean, if you watch Shaka Tony in the first half, not only just getting those uh, those three sacks, but he was opening up lanes uh, for for Yuto Gross Matos even, you know, doing a little twist uh, coming from the other side. They had to bring in a back to, to try and help the redshirt freshman uh, right tackle, whose name, name is kind of escaping me right now, uh, Will Brammel, sorry. Um, but, uh, man, he was he was really, really good and changed the rest of the uh, rest of the defense. Ten sacks, as we mentioned. Uh, Micah had a sack. Micah Parsons had a sack. Jason Owe had a sack. Lamont Wade had Lamont a Wade sack. Had a sack. Lamont, Lamont Wade had 11 tackles yep. today. So um, just kind of all over the place, and a lot of guys played on that defense. There was a point where we saw on a third down the freshman cornerbacks and and not the, not Keaton Ellis. It was Marquise Wilson. It was Joey Porter Jr. You mentioned Joey Porter uh, was on, was on coverage on that touchdown, the only touchdown that Purdue got. Uh, but yeah, they continue to you know implement uh, uh, several of these guys. Adiza Isaac continues to f- carve out his role in the defensive front. I think he's there to stay, and, and we know he wasn't going to redshirt, but I think he continues to make his case. Um, Jaquan Brisker is another guy that we've seen uh, a little bit more prevalent, I think, in the last few weeks early, and I think he was the first uh, first substitution in on defense in this game as well. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I think that's that's what we've talked about for a while, the ability to go uh, to your second man at a spot, sometimes your third man at a spot. Brandon Smith, another true freshman we saw a lot of today. But Jesse Lucchetta, you know, he's had moments where he's he's you know proven himself as a starting-level linebacker, and he happens to be playing behind one of the, the premier defenders in the, the Big Ten and Micah Parsons. So, you know, talking to these guys afterward, whether it was Micah, Lamont Wade, Itor Grossmatos, they all kind of repeated that when they got to come to the sideline for a blow, uh, they they go there with full confidence. And there's not a lot of teams that can take this that, that level of talent, you know, off the field and and without crossing their fingers that they hope they can survive by putting a Band-Aid on the situation. And that's a testament to how this team is recruited. It's a testament to what Sean Spencer has done in creating that rotation up front. And obviously, Brent Pry has been able to push the right buttons with this linebacker group. And, um, you know, it's come together. And, and, you know, Jesse Lucchetta had a big smile on his face, as always. But it got bigger than ever when, when I asked him, you know, we heard all offseason from you, the coaching staff, that this is going to be one of the best defenses in the country, maybe the best they really, truly feel like they're building that resume week by week by week. And look, Big Ten, it's a soft landing for them with these two matchups, Maryland, 
Purdue. It's a soft finish with with Rutgers coming to town, but you know they're going to continue. Said it, not me. <laughs> I said it. Uh, they're going to need to continue to to build that in the next few games. But let's face it, Iowa scored three points today and a loss to Michigan. Michigan scored ten points today and a win over Iowa, at and home. their offense yeah. has not looked any any improved at all uh, with Josh Gaddis uh, there now. And and then beyond that, Michigan State is not known as a firepower. So I mean, really, you're looking down the road at you know, and this is not what James Franklin would approve of, but you're looking down the road at Ohio State right now. As the only team on your schedule that looks like they are a true firepower kind of offense, you're not going to have to go and play a crossover game against Wisconsin this year. Ohio State will have to do that at some point. But obviously this is all big picture, Big Ten stuff. But with what they've been given and the opportunities they've had in front of, in front of them game after game after game, this defense has done its part to fulfill those expectations in the offseason. And they've proven it was not a lot of hot air. And, and they're going out, and they're they're looking like they're expecting to do this on a week-to-week basis. James Franklin, in the post game, it's not something he does a lot, but he said the defense was playing championship-level uh, yeah, defense. Um, so that, that that was sort of certainly something to raise the eyebrows there. And they are. I mean, the, at every level. I mean, the, I think John Reed had a pretty good day today. I mean, granted, you know, Purdue's passing game, not the best, but he had a couple of pass breakups in there. Um, you know, Purdue's missing Rondale Moore. It is what it is. But, uh, yeah, I think that they're, uh, you know, it's sort of starting to click in some areas where we thought they might, uh, you know, come up short in. Defensive tackles have been good. Robert Windsor and Antonio Shelton split a, uh, a sack today. I think Shelton's had a really, really solid year that, you know, maybe has exceeded expectations for some people. Safety's still coming along. You mentioned Wade had 11 tackles, so that's a, that's a step in the right direction. Jaquan Brisker was, was getting involved a little bit. Got, I think he got hit with a kind of a, a little bit of a harsh late uh, hit uh, penalty there at one point, but uh, interesting penalties all day. It was a yeah. I mean, it was it, it was what it was. I yeah. mean, and that they had the targeting on on the Purdue guy, which they you know I felt like there was a targeting review every few plays. Yeah, there's an automatic ejection there, which is what it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the defense as a whole. I mean, you're gonna, you're going to have to nitpick this one to to see where you know they came up short because they just put their offense in a really good position for the most part, and you know. Could have been close to it. You'd like to have a shutout, but it's not going to happen every week. And you know they will nitpick. I mean, this is a, a team loaded with guys who are really striving for perfection. You know, Micah Parsons, <laughs> the last couple of times we've talked to him after the pit game, after this game, I mean, they, they, they're they pretty angry when points are put on the scoreboard. And, and they came into this game second nationally in points allowed per contest, 7.5. That's going to go down just a little bit with this game. And, you know, that tells you where they're at. The only team that was ahead of them in that category was Wisconsin. And we'll repeat it. Ten sacks. They've never had more sacks in a game this century. So, I mean, that that, that, that kind of hammers home the point. And so we've talked about the, the roller coaster ride that was this Penn State offense today. And we talked about the defense, which, you know, suffocated Purdue throughout the matchup and really gave them uh, no room to, to develop any kind of threat, even as Penn State's offense stalled. And that's a huge thing to be able to to kind of hold. Yeah, you know, say that's okay. You guys figure your stuff out. We're going to hold down our situation. There's not a lot of teams that can find that balance. And then it comes to, you know, sometimes the stats can tell the story. Sometimes they can uh, you can work them and, and, and make them tell the story for you. I put together the, a few comparisons for stats as we blend together what the offense has accomplished through two Big Ten games and what the defense has done. In the yards, Penn State has 1,079 yards in two conference games. They've given up 232 yards. They have 54 first downs. You mentioned that. They've given up 18 first downs. They got 97 points. They've given up seven points. Obviously, that's the most important statistic. And here's another one, just as a reminder of where this team is progressing, specifically on the offensive side of the football. Along the way, 97 points put on the board. 
Only one of those touchdowns was scored by someone who was not a sophomore or a freshman. That was senior Nick Bowers last week against Maryland. So let's remember as well, the guys making plays, the guys being asked to play an abundance of snaps. There, a lot of them have you know been asked to do that now for five games, maybe some of them towards the tail end of last year. So it's always something that, that I have to remind myself because a lot of these guys were such big-time recruits. Some of them have been around the programs having different roles and stepping up. But at the end of the day, 97-7, to 7, that's a good spot to be in. And I know there'll be some detractors and, and people are going to be cooling off of Ronnie after liking what they saw against Maryland. But uh, 35-7, to 7, and, and trust me, Sean Clifford sounds like a guy who is again ready to get back to the drawing board because of what they went through. He says they got. A, he says that, that what's separating them from being an elite team is to avoid those kind of lapses. And you know, last time Clifford says it was time for him to go back into the uh, to, into the board into the laboratory, he came out and did what he did, and, and he was a co-offensive player of the week against uh, against uh, Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. So yeah, we'll find out. And and they're going to have a big test next week at Iowa. A couple years ago, they had a ton of firepower. And it was a game that they very easily could have lost had it not been for some late mix early magic. And as I said, really riding the coattails of Barkley for much of that contest. But with this defense right now, uh, I look at their schedule and, and I just don't see why they wouldn't at least be involved in that game in the late stages. And with some of these games, uh, again, you're not going to need uh, a tip top offensive performance to get it done. You can still win a game by uh, pretty comfortably because of the way your defense is operating right now. Yeah, that's the sort of defense that can break you as, as an opponent. I mean, it's just uh, just waves of guys coming in and that the. the the, the the drop off I guess from the first team to the second team we really haven't seen a ton of it. we saw it early in the season but it seems to have come along uh, very well so that that that's a defense that can really you know break you and then on the other side Iowa next week three points at Michigan this week I don't think that's the the output you're going to see but man I mean you, you got to be licking your chops if you're this defense to go after it Nate Stanley had a bad game against them last year you can Ooh, get him uh, we just talked about that interception to Nick Scott there by the the in the in the red zone last year. So I mean, you, you go after them. You sort of negate the, uh, the the home fans. They've already done that once this year. You've got some night game experience, and you know a lot of that's on Clifford to make the the, the right decisions and make the throws. And if they can do that, I mean, you got to like what you're seeing going into Iowa City. Yeah, and let's give. Uh, I mentioned Bowers being the uh, the lone exception to those the, the touchdown tallies. The guy who's not the young player. Let's let's shed the light on him. We've talked about him a lot in the offseason. You called him a draftable tight end looking ahead towards the 2020 draft. The guy who's been on campus for for five years now. And uh, another nice performance. He had 70 yards last week and a touchdown against Maryland. Uh, This week he goes for 60-plus yards. And I I think he's, what, so 130 yards in these two games. And then you look at his entire first four years on campus, it was fewer than 60 total receiving yards. So he's having a moment here. And he clutched that ball for dear life as he ran down the (laughs) field this week. I don't know if he got his eyes up on the video board, but, of course, last week against Maryland, he got that ball knocked out, and he luckily recovered it. But, man, that was – I mean, he was gripping that thing. They probably had to get a new White ball knuckle. after that play. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Nick Bowers, uh, you, you got to like what he's been able to do. Stuck by the program, persevered, did, did every, everything that he had to do. And you're right. I think he's going to get a shot in the NFL. I think he can be a late-round draft pick. And I think that, you know, he's showing a little bit more to his game because, no, I mean, everybody knows that Fryermuth is, is the go-to guy at tight end. Nick Bowers can catch the ball and get some things done after the catch as well. I think here's the most important question that you have to ask yourself if you're a Penn State fan, if you're in our line of, of business. The way you kind of saw this this thing on, on August 29th or whatever, when you were trying to figure out what this team was going to be and, and kind of laying your prediction on the line, through five games, and I'll ask you, Sean, is this team ahead of where you thought they would be? Are they right around where you thought they would be? Are they falling short of where you thought they would be? 
because uh, I have my opinion, but I want to hear that from you. I think they're slightly ahead. I think this defense, we, we knew this defense was going to give them a chance to win every game that they're in. I don't know that we, you know, I don't know that we saw that, that this defense was going to be this good. Now, you know, you, you're coming off of games of Maryland and Purdue. That's That shouldn't be overlooked. I mean, these are two pretty bad Big Ten teams. But, I mean, this defense has put them, um, you know, in, in position to go. And then Sean Clifford has really made some strides. I mean, he's he was not great against Pitt. Came back was was a world beater against Maryland last Friday, and then you know, I'm a little step back now, but he's fine, you know. And you've got uh, playmakers that are making plays, and it's not just KJ Hamler, it's not just Pat Fryermuth. Those were the two that we looked to uh, before the season. Jahan Dotson's out there making plays. You've got other guys that can can do some things, and the running backs are coming along. Uh, the special teams, maybe today excluded, has been very very good. Um, so I think they're just a little bit ahead of where they thought where I thought they would be. I thought they'd be five and zero at this point. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe Purdue would give them a little bit more of a game, but I thought also thought Purdue would have their starting quarterback and one of the best players in the country. Um, so I think they're just a little bit ahead of where I thought they would be. I had them as a nine and three team uh, before the season, and of course that's you know a lot of that's going to hinge on the trip to Iowa, on the trip to, uh, to 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 East Lansing, and of course the Ohio State game. But you know they got a shot to to, to certainly you know put that one in the dust. Yeah, and they have a chance, you know, uh, you know they get through these next three weeks, and, and if they get a clean sweep here, then people will talking to, be talking about them as a legitimate college football playoff contender. Yeah. And it just, that's the way it is. Not many teams survive the, to the end of October without a loss. Um, I predicted this team to start 7-0 and um, and and ultimately win 10 games. But I, I didn't think that, one, that their defense would be at this kind of level, like just the – the points aren't. No one's putting up points, and and I, and I know Purdue was shorthanded today, and but you know Maryland's shown they can put up points. I know it's Rutgers, and and I know it's Syracuse. And just Syracuse walked right into that. Well, one. Rutgers keeps popping up here, don't they? Um, but ultimately, I mean, I think the defense is a little bit further ahead. But Sean Clifford is going to get heat. I've seen it on social media. People saying that you know what the heck was wrong with him? Fourteen total touchdowns, two turnovers. Yeah, fourteen total touchdowns, two turnovers. 5-0 and record, and I think, honestly, the offense where they have had these lackadaisical sequences, they haven't had a lot of sloppy sequences where they have been careless with the football. Where they Like last year, it felt like they went through the drops. They had uh, s- some some rough turnovers. I think this team right now, I know the fifth game last year was that Ohio State game. That, that was a top-10-ranked uh, Penn State game last, last year in that game, and, and they, fell, they were one point away from winning that game. But a lot of people last year, because of the returning experience that Penn State had, because of the quarterback they had, I would take this team through five games over last year's team through five games. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I think if you put them on the field together, this one to me, just you being around the players, being around the coaches, they sense that there's something special brewing. I don't know if that was ever a sense last year along the way that, that you truly got, especially after they faced some adversity uh, towards the start of the season. It never seemed like they could pick themselves back up. They went into halftime here against Buffalo trailing. Pitt took them down to the wire. They go on the road, and they, and they just play the role of a bully at Maryland, and they come here today, and again, the defense says, we'll prop you up for as long as you need. We're not going to give up any – we're not even going to give up 10 points today, so so you're good. You put up four touchdown drives, we'll take those. Maybe spread them out a little bit longer so people don't talk about it as much, but it's a team that can show that they've found different ways to win on a very small sample size through five games where, you know, I, I think there are indications here that – 
Franklin, just there's a different vibe to this team. I think it's correlated to the locker room and the young leadership that they have stepping up and the sense that a lot of these guys are here for the long haul. They're not, a lot of these guys are going to be leaving after this offseason. We talked about the young players scoring touchdowns. Look at the defense and the way they're working in some of these second and third team players. A lot of those guys are going to be here for two, three years, and they are buying into the short-term and long-term vision, and I think that is really starting to show up on what we see on the football field. And they're playing a lot. Like, a lot of the guys are playing a lot, and that's going to go a long way in, in sort of, you know, uh, just conditioning that locker room to be where they need to be. Even Franklin mentioned it after the game was, you know, there, there's a lot – he didn't say there's a lot more buy-in, but there's a lot more buy-in. I think yeah, that's no, easy to see. I think that's see. easy to see. And when, when, you, when you go out there, and you, you mentioned the word bully, and if they can bully teams around as, as much as possible, like they did last week against Maryland, like they did for the first uh, quarter and a half – I mean, even the rest of the game. I mean, this defense just just took control. If they can do that, I mean, you're going to continue to sort of uh, develop your program, cultivate that depth, and and get where you need to be. Because I think when you when you compare this team to last year's team, yes, last year's team had Trace, and when Trace was healthy, that was you know certainly a, a, an advantage. But this team as a whole, I think, deeper, faster, just um, just all around. I think you feel better about one to eighty five this year than you do last year. Yeah, and look, we're not flies in the wall in there. I just get the sense that there is more. I got you. I got your back. You got my back on this team, and I think I think it goes from guy one to guy one hundred and five. Just a little bit more recognizable. We're not around these guys every day. We get limited access, but you know, reading between the lines of some of the comments we've heard, and, and quite frankly, frankly, just associating with the team and being here on campus. So it is interesting, uh, you know, to see what what's ahead for this team. Five and zero, as we said, number twelve entering the week in the Associated Press poll. We'll we'll see how everything goes on the scoreboard across college football. If they maybe get a bump there, certainly don't think this performance or any kind of offensive lapse along the way will hurt them with any voters. People are going to really be focusing in on this Penn State uh, offense and and our defense. And and look. Penn State fans who were glued into this game and people like us who, who get paid to watch these games and, 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 and talk about them, we're going to talk about the offense, but I think talking about national perception, they still put up the offensive highlights. They still had, you know, 28-0 uh, 16 minutes in, and, and that was their offense. So at the end of the day here, it's a team that uh, it seems to be finding their stride in a lot of ways, and and they also seem to have the ability to just keep moving forward, even as you know certain th- a wheel falls off in this game. While well, you keep going forward and you fix it, or yeah, it it just it doesn't seem like they're letting a lot get to them. And I think that starts with Clifford, and it starts with with, a, with the defensive leaders as well. But uh, Clifford has been a pretty cool customer, and he's also taken a lot of ownership after these games. Uh, he's very quick to take responsibility, even when it seems like situations where he could easily duck away from it. And I think that does uh, mean something. Yeah, and I don't think Penn State's ready to fly up the poles or anything like that. I think we we have a good idea of how good this defense can be. But uh, Ralph Russo from the AP had a good uh, a good tweet. He said Penn State will be very interesting to watch over the next three weeks at Iowa, Michigan, and at Michigan State. Uh, he says they're good. They have a really high ceiling, but the competition has been just met enough mm-hmm. to uh, to make me want to see more. And I think that's perfectly fair. I think yeah. it's a, I think it's a perfectly fair criticism so far. I mean, you know, who has Penn State beaten? Of course, the the pit game you, you sort of pump up there because of what they did against Central Florida and because it is a rivalry game. But at the end of the day, I mean, you've got uh, you know you should be five and zero right now, and that's where they're at. Yeah, and there's teams all over the country, Sean, facing these kind of moments. Some are having it this week. The Florida Gators are a good example, a top ten ranking as we record right now. Now they're, they're winning by four points at home against an Auburn team that many are starting to view as a college football playoff contender. You know, they had that win over Miami. That's, you know, in, in the glory days in Florida, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, you beat the Hurricanes in the opener. 
Last you checked, Miami was getting slammed by a Virginia Tech team that had been everybody's punching bag. So, yeah, yeah, there are opportunities for statements, and you can play who's in front of you. And the first one that I think they really have is this upcoming week. I know Iowa's coming off of a loss, but Kinnick Stadium has been a place where dreams go to die for contenders in the past. And if Penn State can go into that game and and win it, and it was funny. A reporter asked Micah, so, uh, you know, Iowa lost 10-3. We saw what happened today. Are, are you expecting, you know, you're going to have to really hold them down and it's going to be a low-scoring affair? And Micah said, no, Sean, Sean Clifford's going to go put up points. That offense is going to put up points. But, again, at this point, you know, you go on the road at Iowa, and we'll get into that game in the podcast. I don't want to go too far down there. But this is a team right now where you feel like if the offense can reach 20, and I think that's what they had to reach to beat Iowa a couple years ago. If it was, what is it, 20-19, 21-19 final in that game? Uh, you know, Penn State's defense, you think could probably do the job if you can get to 20 in that game. Find a way, uh, whether you find a way to lean on a running back for a change or it's more chunk plays through the passing game or it's K.J. Hamler. The one guy will say that I'm very curious to see if they can get him more involved because I think it's important for this offense, and I think it was really missing for a stretch there, is Pat Fryerman, the freshman All-American last year. Uh, We know he's had his moments this year, but the last three games combined – uh, fewer than 10 targets by our count here and, and what we see on the official media uh, stats. And you go back to, to that pit game. You know, he, he, had a, he had huge moments in the Buffalo game. He was part of why they were able to get that second half spark. Going to the pit game, the first pass completion was the Pat Fryermuth uh, from Sean Clifford. But he kind of went away the rest of that pit game. Uh, and today, you know, uh, just a couple targets. So he, he, I think he's the guy that, you know, um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep tabs on. And, and I think that uh, that Penn State, as much as you can get the ball to him, he just seems to be a, a guy who sets the stage for a lot you can do well there you have it we uh came out hard at you with the podcast and then we slept walk for looks like about 30 (laughs) minutes and ended it very strongly as well so basically a a little microcosm of the game today but i think we'll let that one go uh we're going to see you early next week at some point talk a little bit of iowa talk talk a little about what we saw in the film uh today against purdue maybe talk a little bit of recruiting some some interesting guys popped up on campus this weekend so um i think that's uh i think that'll about do it by the way since we last spoke keandre lambert did commit to penn state and boy oh boy do we have it covered on lines 24 7 i had you covered sean had you covered brian doan had you covered steve wilfong had you covered so if you missed that uh or you want to learn a little bit more about why keandre lambert and we all think that he is one of the crown jewels of this recruiting class head over to lines 24 7 we got you covered there with a lot on that commitment because it is a big one yep and i didn't want to go over that all right well game is in the books 35 7 penn state wins they are 5-0 in the season we'll talk to you soon for now on behalf of sean fitz i'm tyler donahue saying goodbye from beaver stadium thanks for joining us